0: Yeah. 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 I'm Tasha Pierce, and this is Sinister Silhouettes. Woo! What an emotionally taxing few weeks this has been. So, um,. I hope everybody is uh, doing well. It's been a long time since I've sat in front of the mic specifically to, to do an episode of Sinister Silhouettes. And that's because a lot of the time those episodes will be pre-recorded. Then we had this uh, my civic duty to talk about the state of unrest of the United States of America and now all over the world. On the uh, subject of racial injustice, and it was like I did this fantastic episode with the greatest group of podcasters ever. Hopefully, you guys listened to that. That was a Black Lives Matter victims of injustice that we released across twenty platforms last week, and it was very exciting, very powerful, and yeah, I I was honored to be a part of that great production so if you haven't listened to that episode i am inviting you to invite a friend and you guys listen to it and let us know that it's me in any of the other podcasts that were a part of this magnificent dream team if you guys want you can uh let any of us know how you felt about that episode and if you are here because you found out about Sinister Silhouettes, because of that episode, welcome to the show, welcome to the party. And speaking of parties, I just want to have one because I got a review from a Morbidology Podcast, which is one of the podcasts that I was so so thrilled to work with. She has a very very awesome show. She uh, has mo- the the sweetest, cutest accent because she is Irish and anyway thank you very much Emily from Morbidology and I also this week was honored to get three patrons one of them was Emily from Morbidology and I have Eileen from Crime Lapse Podcast and she is also one of my little Irish babies and she knows she's just one of my little Irish sweethearts <laughs> but she also has a great podcast that she hosts with Charlie and they are, you know how turnt up I get. They are very smooth and even with their delivery. They're not trying to sensationalize these things. Uh, they're just bringing awareness to, you know, the, the crimes that are, uh, that are prevalent in their neck of the woods. And they also do American crimes too. They, they don't discriminate. (laughs) So, there's that. And then I have Je Ne sais quoi, who jumped out at the highest level. So, thank you very much, Je Ne sais quoi, for your patronage. And you can contribute to the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash sinister silhouettes. And there will also be a link in the description of this podcast, this episode. You can also support the show by just leaving a five star review and i will shout you out on the podcast capisce Capiche? okay so i also have to say thank you i don't know how many people uh, heard my cry for help like i said very exciting couple of weeks because this is when my landlords decided to pull it and threatened to evict me out of my apartment because we were behind we had fallen behind on rent if you can remember i was out of work for two weeks because i got sick and then i was out of and then uh, my hours got cut so i was short on my rent and a gofundme was started to assist in that and i was able to pay it up so if you were part of that i am eternally grateful I am so eternally grateful because I would not have been able to get caught up without you. So, now that my thank yous and uh, all of that is out of the way, let's get started with today's episode. Do you like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. No, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Wow, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? maybe do you have a boyfriend no you never told me your name why do you want to know my name i want to know who i'm looking at what did you say what's your favorite scary movie almost everybody has one now i can say with certainty that my sister's favorite is the exorcist and i've got a short list that includes it a Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, the first installment of Scream, and A Quiet Place. And I could name more, but you get the point. Now, my sister and her friends used to quote-unquote play Exorcist with one another, hence the whole Latoya Ammon situation from episode 21. That's about as close to reenacting a horror film that I've seen anyone do. Now, in the movie Scream, there was a true-to-life film geek named Randy and this dude was so serious about his horror that he laid out the rules to surviving a scary movie number one stay a virgin number two no booze or drugs and number three never ever say I'll be right back and it's a good thing that none of us live through a horror movie huh (laughs) unfortunately for some Pocatello Idaho students they would be the unwitting stars of one such nightmare. Today, we discuss the Scream Killers. Now, we're jumping in the way back and heading to Pocatello, Idaho. The year is 2006. That year had a few brilliant horror horror movies released. Uh, Slither. Slither. The Hills Have Eyes, the third installment of the Final Destination series, and Scary Movie 4. But anyway, the city of Pocatello is in the top 50 small cities in the U.S., and you don't get there by being a hub of crime, okay? And about a third of the population is of the Mormon faith. And uh, one thing about most Mormons who are living by the principles as established by their uh, religion and their founder, Joseph Smith, they, they're they not really violent people. But on September twenty-second, two 2006, it started like any other Friday at Pocatello High School. Kids were scurrying to classes while making plans for the weekend. Now, Cassie Stoddard, was at her locker when her friends Tory Adams, Tory Adamchik, Adamchik. I don't remember how to say his last name. And in Brian Draper, they showed up at her locker. Now these two were Mormons and aspiring filmmakers. Most of the time, they documented the day's events with a camcorder. Now today was no different. This morning, they aimed the camera at Cassie and told her to say hi. Cassie was an exceptional student, artist, and musician. She literally was the definition of the girl next door. As a junior in high school, she had aspirations to study law in college. She was cute and friendly to everyone. She had recently begun dating Matt Beckham. Now, they'd been together a whole five months. Well, to parents, that's recent. To teens in love, that's forever. So that evening, Cassie's Uncle Frank and Aunt Allison Contreras planned to go out of town for the weekend. They trusted Cassie to house sit for them while they traveled. Now, Cassie and Matt planned to Netflix and chill. Well, maybe Blockbuster and chill. I don't know. It seems like Netflix has been around forever. Point is, the couple will spend the evening watching movies until Matt's 10 o'clock curfew. Now at six p.m., Matt arrived at the Contreras Dream House, and the couple watched a movie. I've heard that it was Kill Bill, and about an hour into the movie, Tori and Brian showed up to to watch it with them. And they stuck around for about an hour, but they thought it was going to be like a house party because Cassie had the house to herself, but she's far too responsible for that, so. They stuck around for that hour and then they decided they wanted to go to the movies. Film geeks. <laughs> now Matt and Cassie are finally alone again. Matt's curfew was slowly creeping up on them. But before they could really savor the moment, the power goes out. Now this sounds like something straight out of a horror flick. Uh, the lights go out boyfriend leaves to investigate the problem girlfriend is slaughtered by a deranged psychopath repeat for two hours until we get to the final girl against the monster but in this situation Matt finds the circuit breaker has tripped and he just resets it he returns upstairs to find his girlfriend in one piece but needless to say this spooked Cassie she tells Matt that she's now afraid to stay in the house alone So Matt called his mom and asked if he could stay with Cassie since she was afraid. Now his mom probably didn't have to think much about it before she said no. In fact, she came to pick him up shortly after that call. Call it mother's intuition. But she knew that nothing good could come from them spending the night together. And now Cassie was all alone in the house. This house that her aunt and uncle loved so much. And she laid down on the couch and watched TV. Suddenly, the power again goes out. Cassie was afraid to move. She didn't want to go to the basement to reset the breaker. So she closed her eyes and tried to just go to sleep. Have you ever been asleep and felt like someone was in the room with you? Like you're being watched? Then you wake up and it's your creepy ass boyfriend standing in the shadows staring at you? No? Only me? Well, Cassie got that feeling and she jumped up off the couch and came face to face, not with her boyfriend, but with a shadowy figure with a ghoulish mask on. Now who knows how it went down after that. It seems as if she fought for her life but was overpowered. And when the ordeal was over, Cassie's lifeless body was left on the floor. She had been stabbed 29 times and nine of those wounds would have been considered fatal. I can't imagine what those last moments must have been like for her. She had to be so afraid and confused. This grotesque figure had ambushed her and extinguished one of Pocatello, Idaho's brightest stars. She would lay there alone until her family returned from their weekend getaway. On Sunday, when her uncle and his family returned, their 13-year-old daughter rushed into the house to see her cousin Cassie. Instead of being greeted by Cassie's smiling face, she was confronted with the horrific sight of Cassie's mangled remains. Upon entering the home, her uncle couldn't believe his eyes He rushed to call the police. His beautiful niece was dead. Word quickly spread about the murder. And of course, law enforcement wanted to talk to everyone who was in contact with Cassie over the weekend. Now, Cassie's mom had called Matt on the phone and asked what he had done to her daughter. Real life is just like every scary movie. The boyfriend is always the first suspect. The police interviewed Matt. They wanted to know everything that happened during his visit with Cassie. When was the last time he talked to her and where he was in the days following the murder. Matt was very cooperative and even agreed to a polygraph exam. He explained that on Friday he and Cassie watched a movie. Tori and Brian stopped by for about an hour and he left shortly after 10 p.m. Cassie was very much alive when he left, and when he got in his mom's car, he wasn't covered in blood. He said he had been trying to catch up with her the next day, but she didn't answer her phone. He asked Tori to take him over to the house, but Tori said he didn't have enough gas in his car, and the polygraph exam determined he was telling the truth. The next people on the list for interviews were Tori and Brian. They were questioned separately, but both of their stories were consistent. They were with Matt and Cassie for about an hour. They realized that no one else was going to stop by, so they left and went to the movies. They both had the ticket stubs to prove what movie they had seen. They hadn't spoken to Cassie again, but they hung out with Matt on Saturday. Matt wanted to go check on Cassie, but Tori only had enough gas to get him through the school week. And with no evidence to hold them on, the police cut them loose. And just like in the movie Scream, the town was on edge knowing that a killer was lurking among them. Everyone had their ideas about who that murderer could be. They pointed lots of fingers at Matt. Others thought it had to be a deranged stranger just passing through. Still others thought it was Tori O'Brien. Everyone had an idea. Some thought of who could have done this to Cassie. And just like in the movie Scream, they would find out that the killer is closer than you think. After the medical examiner autopsied the body, he determined that Cassie had likely died on Friday night. And like previously stated, someone had stabbed her 29 times in what was a frenzied attack. The, the medical examiner also determined that there were two weapons used in the attack. That's right. Some wounds were made with a serrated knife, the others with a smooth knife. And this showed law enforcement that there was a strong possibility that there were two assailants involved in this crime. Now, the investigators went back to their suspects. Matt's mother was his alibi, She would have noticed blood on his clothing when she picked him up Friday night. And we would like to hope that she wouldn't cover for her son had he done something heinous. But Tori and Brian, their alibis were each other. There was no one else who could confirm their whereabouts for the evening in question. The police brought them in again for another round of interviews. They again were questioned separately. This time, investigators asked about the plot of the movie they had seen. Neither of them could remember the plot. Now, when asked what actors were in the movie, neither could answer. Now, this is highly suspicious because, as we've established, these two were well-known film geeks. Now ask me today about a movie I was so intrigued by that I paid money to see it in a theater. Tell me to describe Avengers Endgame to you. I'll be able to tell you damn near frame by frame what went on in that movie and how it ties to the greater Marvel storyline. I'm passionate about sci-fi fantasy films. I dissect them. I relate them to the world we are living in they are almost always representative of some current event, even if they are showing how we overcome a failure of present society. I remember the key plot points because if there is ever a part two, and in the world we inhabit, there is always a part two. I know that these things become more important. In fact, even the sequel to Scream built upon the rules established in the first movie. Now these aspiring filmmakers couldn't remember a film. They had only watched days earlier. That's an enormous problem. That caused the police to want to look into them a little further. And the more they dug, the more they found out about the boys. Tori and Brian wanted to direct films but they were very interested in a certain genre. That genre? Horror. Now other students from Pocatello High offered similar observations of the boys' personalities. Tori and Brian regularly depicted acts of violence as their camera rolled. They rarely picked up on the discomfort of others as they acted out scenes from their favorite scary movies their peers had little doubt that they were capable of murder. Investigators believed Brian and Tori were responsible for Cassie's horrible death and after several interviews, they discovered just how right they were. Brian cracked first. He told the police he was present when Cassie was killed but didn't take part in the murder. Law enforcement aware that there were at least two perpetrators, allowed him to keep talking. He said he and Tori agreed to prank Cassie and Matt. And while at the house earlier that evening, he unlocked a back door. After leaving to, quote, go to the movies, unquote, they returned to the home. Donning their disguises, they hid in the basement. They accessed the circuit breakers shutting the power out and when Matt came downstairs to reset the breaker, they saw him. They also heard Matt leave when his mom came to pick him up. They knew Cassie was alone. Now according to Brian, the plan was to scare the crap out of Cassie. He said Tory deviated by actually attacking her. Now after killing her, they disposed of the evidence. Brian was willing to lead officers to the site they had buried the weapons. And so, they went on a little field trip. Now, Brian led the officers to a site in Black Rock Canyon. He said they'd find the weapons there, but the police found so much more. There were masks, gloves, clothes, knives, and a videotape our film geeks just couldn't help themselves. They recorded their thoughts before and after Cassie's death. There should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but... Hell, hell. You restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want it. We found our victim, and as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard. She's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean like holy shit dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. I was 950 September 22nd 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There, There's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors, that's all locked. Now we just gotta wait. I just killed Cassie, we just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I just oh killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like was real. Oh, I mean, it went by so fast. Let the fuck up, we gotta get our act straight. Okay. After viewing these videos, investigators now had irrefutable evidence that Toria Damchik and Brian Draper committed murder. Not only that, but they planned the act days in advance. They chose Cassie to die in the first act of their horror movie. They intended for there to be more victims, including Matt. Now, booked... Just five days after slaying Cassie, the villains faced first-degree murder charges. In the coming months, the young men went to trial separately. During trial, Brian stated the Columbine shooters, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, inspired him and Tory. The movie Scream also influenced them. In 2007, both were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. With no possibility for parole. They both appealed the decision only to have their sentences upheld. In 2010, the Stardard family filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District. They claimed that the school was negligent and should have known that Draper and Adamchick posed a threat to others. Both the civil court and the state Supreme Court dismissed the case saying the actions of the killers were not foreseeable. I take issue with that. But I digress. Over the years, a remorseful Brian has acknowledged the pain he caused and accepts his sentence. Tori and his parents continue to downplay his involvement despite evidence that points directly to him. In one video, even Tori looks surprised when his mother and father insist he is innocent. The Supreme Court issued a ruling that mandatory life sentences without parole are unconstitutional for juvenile offenders. This requires states to re-examine hundreds of cases, including Adamschik and Draper in Idaho. For now, both are still held at the Idaho State Correctional Facility. That there is no known motive for the would-be crime spree of two sixteen-year-olds is not at all surprising. In the movie *Scream*, the antagonist admit that having no motive is scarier. Why? Why did you kill my mother? Why? Why? Yeah, that's true. I think she wants a motive. Hmm. I don't really believe in motive, Sid. I mean, did Norman Bates have a motive? No. Did they ever really decide why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. See, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, Sid. And pa pa pa, pa pa ba before you go blaming all of this on watching scary movies. You hey, see, Sid, everybody dies, but us everybody dies. But we're we gonna carry on and plan the sequel, because let's face it, baby, these days you gotta have a sequel. You ah! ah! sick for fuck's sake, you've seen one too many movies. Nah, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos or create. Ah! Stop it, Billy, with you, alright? I can't take anymore. Okay, and this week, are something to think about, <laughs> and it's goofy, just like just like I am. Okay, something to think about when the last human, the last human, dies off, and now the planet is devoid of any human life. We have a big cataclysmic event. And it wipes out all life on this planet. There may still be rubber duckies found on Earth after we're gone. And the reason why this is even possible is that over 25 years ago, a cargo ship traveling from Hong Kong to the United States accidentally lost a shipping crate in the Pacific Ocean. And inside that crate were 28,000 rubber ducks. And they were about to embark on, a many, on many long journeys across the globe. Now the rubber ducks continue to pop up on shores from Australia to Alaska. And they've enlightened our understanding of ocean currents. Some have made it all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, while others have been found frozen in Arctic ice so yes long after we're gone one of the things that the next civilization will have to remember us by are rubber duckies and i would love to know what the hell they gonna think those are in years to come so keep your eyes open keep your ears open let me know if you see any rubber duckies floating out there on your end of the world uh <laughs> I would definitely be interested in knowing. Okay. And with that, this is finally the season finale of season two of Sinister Silhouettes. And you will get me back here live with a new uh, story in three weeks time. Give me three weeks. I was going to take a month off, but I'm only going to take three weeks. I have to write uh, episodes for the next season and also because we have these events that are still unfolding right in our face the Lori Vallow case the Evelyn Boswell case the Gannon Stalk case these things are still playing out and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on Lori Vallow on this week's live stream that you can find on GetVocal G-E-T-V-O-K-L dot com Or on Facebook at TCByTB on Facebook. You can also find me at TCByTB on Twitter. And guess what? You can also find my webpage at TCByTB.com. That's TCByTB.com. Any questions, concerns, comments, please feel free to leave them at you guessed it tcbytb at gmail.com I'm going to share excerpts from a couple of emails that I got on the Friday live stream because I was very excited to hear from people and their their opinions of the big episode that we just did last week Uh, had so many wonderful podcasts involved in I did get some feedback, and I am so thankful that I did, and then I will share that with you all this week, Friday, on the live stream, and we're going to also uh, discuss discuss Lori, Val. I'm going to quit calling her that anyway, because that's not her name anymore, Lori Daybell. We're going to discuss her. So, with that, I have enjoyed talking with you. And uh, stay the hell out the shadows. Peace.